You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Actually, it's the it's the lead play in our in our offense. Coming What's up, guys? Welcome into Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. I'm joined tonight with the great Paul Brettel from Packers Wire from Dairyland Express. Got one of the most underrated YouTube channels I've ever seen in my whole existence here. So um, you guys need to go sub his channel as soon as possible. You would not be sorry. But, Paul, how you doing tonight, bub? Hey, I'm excellent. Uh, Coming off a Packers victory, happy to be in season and happy to be back talking football with you, Clayton. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. We were going into that Bears game and we were both I think I think it's safe to say we were a little hesitant. Like, ah, no, you know, we have to see. And of course, as soon as we get to the fourth quarter, we're like like just like we said last week, of course, this is how it would play out. Right? Yeah, no kidding. I mean, there's just so much unknown around it. But like as the game's unfolding, as you're seeing it take place, you're like, oh, yeah, this this makes sense. The you know, <laughs> Packers are the better team. As the saying goes, if you can control the trenches, you can probably control the game. And that was 100 percent what happened. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, turnover differential. You heard Matt Matt LaFleur say the goal was plus mm-hmm. two. They finished plus two. Everything just fell into place. I uh, just want to give a shout out to uh, everybody in the chat. We got Zane in the house. We got Knucklehead Paul, Emilio, Mano, Eric Sutherland, HD, Stephen Smith, Brandy Lewis, and uh, like I said, Knucklehead Paul in here. Um, and J-Ro Rosta. I think that's a new one there. Welcome to the welcome to the stream, guys. Um, let's just jump right into it, Paul. We kind of mm-hmm. talked a little bit offline and had a few questions for you. You know, this is my opportunity to add a little bit of credibility to this joke of a show that we've got where we get on here and just get out of control way too quick. But uh, definitely wanted to get your take on a few things. And let's let's kind of start right off the top with the injury report, if that's all right with you. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the latest in terms of of the injuries for the Packers, you know, um, and, and, you know, maybe more specifically, how good are you feeling about Aaron Jones, Quay Walker and Christian Watson uh, potentially playing this week? Kind of just want to test your pulse on the injury report because it seems a little vague and I know we got some updates today, but how is Paul Brettel feeling about those three players in the injury report altogether? Yeah, it's, I mean, trying to get information out of Matt LaFleur and the rest of the coaching staff, as I'm sure is the case around the league, it's always going to be a little bit vague. Uh, Aaron Jones was out again, and it's really tough again from just trying to decipher what's taking place from the outside in. Because as Jones said after the game, you know, if it was a close one, he could have went back in on Sunday. So is this just the Packers being cautious again with a hamstring injury, which we know can linger, and if not taken care of properly, is something that can turn into you know maybe missing a game or two. All of a sudden, you're talking three, four, five games. Is that the case? Uh, that's of what's happening or is it more serious than what we were led to believe? And 
you know, I, I'm really up in the air on that one. I think if it's anything even close to 50, 50 on Sunday, or even if there are, you know, even if there's any sort of lingering questions, I think that they're going to rest him. I think that's the way that they're going to go. We know that not just or going back the last few seasons, they're very, very conscious of Aaron Jones snap count. And prior to week one, when Matt LaFleur was talking about Rashawn Gary's availability, talking about uh, Christian Watson's availability, you know, he referenced that this is a marathon. This isn't a sprint to give us a little peek into there. And I don't think that's a surprising response, but it gives us a little bit of insight into how they're going to approach this. So I think if it's if there's any sort of question marks that they have, they're going to sit Jones and knowing that, hey, we'll manage getting through you know, one game without him. We just want to make sure that we have him for the long haul. I think that's the approach that they're going to have. And just to take a little side tangent from there, you know, they played a heck of a game all around on Sunday. We all know that. But if there's an area that they got to improve upon, it's in the run game. Yeah. Uh, they're really, from a blocking standpoint, wasn't a whole lot that was there for uh, Aaron Jones or AJ Dillon. I know at the end of the game, Aaron Jones raw numbers were solid. I think he averaged like 4.6 yards per carry, but I think that's more of a credit to Aaron Jones just being Aaron Jones. You know what I mean? His ability to find space. I haven't seen a running back that can just get small like he can at the line of scrimmage um, and his ability to create opportunities. I think, you know, AJ Dillon's performance because he doesn't have that ability to create like Aaron Jones does, I think is more of the the true litmus test of, in terms of how the blocking was on the offensive line. And I know on some of those outside zone runs, a few of those toss plays, like you saw Bears defenders just flying through um, that offensive line to make plays in the line of scrimmage and in the backfield. So that's an area that they're going to have to improve. Obviously, if you don't have Aaron Jones, that gets uh, a lot more difficult to take place and they're going against a, an, an Atlanta defense that has a, a pretty stout defensive front, especially, you know, one matchup to watch Grady Jarrett in the middle against Josh Myers. Um, I don't want to think about it, Paul. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> Grady Jarrett against the run, against the pass. He's been one of the better interior guys in football. And I mean, even going back to the summer, watching Josh Myers go up against the TJ Slayton. And I'm not saying Slayton's in the Grady Jarrett bracket of players, right. but uh, Slayton was able to give, Myers quite a bit of fits this summer. So that's going to be a really, really important aspect of this game to watch. Cause as we all know, you know, the, the Packers did a good job last week of being able to, you know, overcome not having a ton of success on the ground, but I just wonder how truly sustainable that is the first time starting quarterback, young group of pass catchers consistently being behind the stick, second and long, third and longs in predictable passing situations against something I'll get into here in a minute, a really, really aggressive defense. That's, now that's an uphill battle in terms of consistent success. So obviously something to keep our eyes on as far as Quay Walker uh, left Sunday's game, as we all know with the concussion has been in concussion protocol. He was back at practice on Thursday in a limited capacity. Uh, if I had to guess, I would say that he's going to be out there on Sunday. Reason I say that is because at least to my understanding of how concussion protocol works, like there isn't a, you know, it's not uh, you know, there's no gray area, I guess is what I should right. say. It's either you're in it or you're out of it. It's not like, oh, you've progressed today. We can let you go back to practice, but you're still in it. You're either in it or you're not. So the fact that he was back on the practice field today, I think is going to be a good sign for his availability on Sunday. Uh, Christian Watson still has in practice this week. As far as his availability, I'm not feeling very confident in that one. I think we can kind of look at Romeo Dobbs' timeline. He was out 11 or 12 days between 
the Seattle game or prior to it. And when he returned to practice last week, and he did practice last Thursday in a limited capacity, practiced on Friday in a limited capacity. So I, I don't feel as confident about Watson. And if he's not out there on Friday or tomorrow, then we absolutely know, you know, pretty much for certain at that point that he's not going to be out there. But if I had to guess right now, the fact that he hasn't been on the field and just kind of the timeline that he's on, if it's Muir and Romeo Dobbs, I think his availability on Sunday is going to be in jeopardy. That makes sense for sure. And, and you know, you were mentioning the concussion protocol. I think a, a good parallel to that is a pop up the injury report here. Troy Anderson, linebacker for the Falcons, a good good point here. He's in concussion protocol and he did not participate. So that's mm-hmm. it kind of goes hand in hand with what you said. Once you once you're kind of in a limited fashion, it seems like, OK, you're out of concussion protocol. Everything. Yeah, that's my kind of, understanding. Yep. Yeah, I think there's kind of like a final test too, maybe later in the week where they just kind of confirm, mm-hmm. OK, we're good. And it's, it's wild how far the whole concussion thing has come. You know, I mean, I remember back in the day, golly, I sound like an old man. Get your bell rung, hit the smelling salts, and get back out there. Man, it's amazing how how everything kind of came full circle. And and I'm glad it did, to be honest, you know, with everything that's subsided. So um, good stuff. All right, let's go into the next question. Um, going into Atlanta this Sunday, what do you think on the offensive side of the ball, if we were to scout Atlanta out, what do you think would be their strength on offense? You know, obviously they got the young quarterback in Desmond Ritter. I feel like they've got a pretty decent backfield. Um, you know, it, it's it's amazing. You look up and you go, Drake London, okay. Mm-hmm. Got Kyle Pitts, okay, yeah. I got a good backfield. And really the only question mark, in my opinion, is is the offensive line in Ritter. But I want to know, how does Paul Brittle see this offense in Atlanta? Yeah, I mean, the strength and what the pack, it's going to be, you know, Kenny Clark said before the Bears game, priority number one is stop the run. I haven't talked to Kenny Clark this week, but I'm going to guess priority number one again is stop the run. The Falcons are going to want to run the football. Ritter had 18 dropbacks in week one, which was the fewest among all uh, eligible quarterbacks who were on the field for at least 20% of their uh, team's offensive snaps. Uh, Algier averaged five yards per rush on 15 carries. Bijan Robinson had 5.6 yards on his 10 attempts. And Matt LaFleur and uh, Jerry Montgomery, Jason Rebervich, you know, they've all talked about how difficult these running backs are to bring down. And the numbers showcase that. Algier, he had forced five missed tackles in last week's game alone, the second most among running backs. Both him and Robinson, I believe, were top 15 out of nearly 50 running backs in week one in terms of yards after contact average. So, again, tackling is going to be have to be a point of emphasis for this Packers team. And you mentioned Drake London, Kyle Pitts. That's kind of the balance that I feel like this Packers defense is going to have to strike. You know they want to run the ball. And even from a passing standpoint last week, you have those guys. Atlanta barely pushed the ball downfield. Of Ritter's 18 attempts, only four of them actually traveled more than 10 yards in the air. And of those four, only one of them traveled more than 20 yards. So you know they want to run the ball. They rely heavily in the on the in the quick passing game as well. So it's you know short, maybe some intermediate routes, but when they're passing, the ball is getting out of Ritter's hands quickly. So again, that's going to affect the the Packers' pass rush just because there's less time to get there. And keep your eyes on Bijan Robinson in the passing game too. He was utilized quite a bit there as well. So step one for the Packers is going to be stopping the run game because if you can, you know, just what I mentioned before with the how the Packers have to be better in the run to keep that offense out of predictable passing situations. You know, if you can do that to Atlanta, and now you're forcing. Ritter to not be as reliant on the quick passing game. Cause if you're trying to consistently pick up, you know, 
seven, eight, nine yards on third down via the quick game, like odds are, unless there's, you know, Packers are just really struggling or, you know, Arthur Smith and that Falcons team is, you know, really getting their guys in space, like consistently moving the chains in that capacity is going to be difficult. And again, they have London, they have pits, but ultimately as a defense, you want to put the opponent into positions that, that to, to do things that they don't want to do. And at least in week one, throwing the ball, pushing the ball downfield was not something that was on the Falcons radar. Again, not to say they can't do it. They have the dudes to do it, but stop the run, put them in the second and longs, third and longs. That's going to limit their ability in the quick passing game. And I think at that point, you know, if, if Ritter beats you downfield on a play or two, you tip your hat, say nice pass and you move on to the next play. I think that that's, I think you're spot on. You know, it, it feels a lot like a similar game plan to what we had against the bears. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I, this sounds so silly, but I, I, I think I've convinced myself of this. Now, first of all, I, when I watched the tape back, I watched two passes through. I haven't watched the third pass through yet. Um, I came away going, man, Ritter looked bad. That's just the way I felt about it. And then I go look at the stats. I'm like, he he was actually efficient in completion. Mm -hmm. How did that happen? You know what I mean? Because he just – he didn't look comfortable. Like he said, he wasn't pushing the ball down the field. But, Paul, I, I, I kind of feel like Ritter's a better throwing quarterback than Justin Fields, and it sounds so silly, but it's like – you know, I'm a little more nervous about Ritter beating us with his arm than Fields, although I think the game plan is going to be very, very similar. Stop the run, force Ritter to beat us, right, and then yep. adjust at halftime if he does come out hot. Um, just amazing, man. It, it, i seen the, those two games back-to-back, -back and I immediately thought, this feels like the same game plan from our mm -hmm. defense's perspective, right? So pretty I thought cool the same thing. exact thing. Yeah. Um, okay. So on, on the defensive side of the ball, right. Uh, on Atlanta's defensive side of the ball, you know, the Packers, I think they came out last week and, and they performed well against a bad bears team, right. I'm trying to mm -hmm. put that into perspective, but at the same time, when you play a bad defense, you should look good. Right. Um, you know, what do you think is Atlanta's strength on defense? And I, and I think I've already caught on to what you're going to say by the comment you made just a second ago, but uh, they have a few pieces on defense that, that kind of makes you, uh, want to game plan around them a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah. And I think I'm going to go in a different direction. Uh, <laughs> so we know the defensive front. We, I mentioned that earlier, but I think the Packers offensive line, you know, they obviously have the ability to handle, you know, that group. Obviously they're going to have to play really well to do so, but they have the dudes up front. I think the biggest question for me is this young Packers pass catchers against the, the Atlanta secondary. Now, Matt LaFleur has talked about twice this week now that aggressiveness I mentioned earlier on defense. Like, that's just not how they play up front. Their cornerbacks are up in the receivers' faces. We saw Jesse Bates come, the safety, come away with three turnovers on his on his own against Atlanta. And Dan Orlovsky uh, of ESPN, you know, he was talking about this week how that secondary and just the defense as a whole, but specifically the secondary, um, does a really good job of mixing and matching personnel as well as disguising coverages. And I know I've talked about this on here before, but going back to the joint practices against new England that the Packers had, uh, Jordan love talked about how after each of them, the, the Patriots did that stuff, the mixing and matching of personnel, the coverage disguises. He always, he also mentioned that the Patriots blitzed a ton too. And on that second day of practice that really gave love and the Packers offense some fits you know, it's, it's meant to cause some chaos, create some confusion. And especially when you have an aggressive secondary, who can stay close to the, to the cornerbacks or to the receivers, excuse me, it's going to prevent some, pre present some challenges for them. 
Now on the flip side, what I'll say, and I wrote about this over at Packers Wire this week, the Packers versatility is going to play such a key role in their ability to combat that. And I've talked about the person, the versatility on this on this Packers team on here before, but we saw it like instantly against Chicago: two running back sets, two tight ends, three tight ends, three receivers, four receivers. Before halftime was done, we saw two running backs, three tight ends, and five receivers all taking snaps. You know, so when you're in the moment and you're in that that specific game, you know that's that's the core of Matt Lafleur's illusion of complexity. You know, it's keeping defenses off balance and you're able to run a variety of plays from just a few personnel packages, which helps create mismatches, gets guys in space, you know, hopefully easier pitch and catch opportunities, yards after the catch as well. And Jordan Love said this on Wednesday when I was talking to him that they also run and you can see this a ton of like plays. So plays that look the same formation wise, maybe even start out the same, but they end up completely different. (laughs) And that's whether that's the run, whether that's the pass. And Ben Fennel, uh, film guru on Twitter, if you're on there and not following him, please do. He's excellent. Uh, but he tweeted out that there was no team in week one that put more on tape from a formation standpoint, from a run scheme standpoint, than what the Green Bay Packers did. And so as we look at how that factor impacts week two here with Atlanta, Jordan Love again said, by doing that, that's a ton on tape that the Falcons have to watch. That's a ton that they have to game plan, game plan for, and a ton that they potentially have to account for. So the the benefit of that for a young offense is one of the question marks that we have is as we get into week two, three, four, and so on, and the Packers are putting on film what they want to do, what they're good at, what they struggle with. Obviously, defenses week to week are going to make adjustments. And with a young quarterback, young offense, you have the question of, all right, how do they counter those defensive adjustments? But that gets a lot harder for the defense to do, again, when they're accounting for so many different things, so many variables. So, yes, and Matt LaFleur doing that, he was max, you know, he's taking advantage of the versatility he has. But, and again, not that I've asked him this, but I can bet that he was also planning ahead as well. And all right, let's throw as much at the Falcons and, you know, our, the Saints and Lions, these early week opponents and make them digest as much as they can and make them have to defend as much as they can. So I say all that to say that's going to be part of the Packers counter. And one other aspect to that counter is the Packers ability to utilize motion. They were fifth in motion rate amongst NFL offenses in the first week. And specifically against teams who disguise their coverages, that's a great way to counter that. Because instead of the defense being the one making those last second adjustments, so maybe, so Jordan loves under center, he looks up, it's cover two, he snaps the ball, he hits the back of his foot, and all of a sudden he's looking at cover one. That's what, you know, those coverage disguises can do. It's the de- it's the offense who's doing the dictating because now you're forcing the defense to do some late movement. That late movement can tip their hand a little bit in terms of what kind of coverage they're in. I mean, if there's any threat of the motion man getting the ball, there's that split second of hesitation. That's all it takes for a blocker to get into position. That's all it takes for a passing lane to open in the NFL. So that versatility, that utilizing that motion, that's how the Packers are going to be able to combat that Atlanta Falcons secondary. But in terms of what I'm watching, I think what one of their strengths are is going to be that group for all the reasons mentioned and just going against a young Packers offense because that movement, all that personnel changes, it's meant to cause confusion, cause chaos for young players. Yeah, definitely. I'll tell you, I was watching the tape and I was making the third pass through on Green Bay's tape. And it was the third time through that I watched the uh, 
the halfback screen throwback. Mm-hmm. And and I paused it and was like, man, they they really respected the heavy side of that formation. And and we even showed a weak a weak run look boot back to the strong side. And I'm like, why did? And I stopped and I'm like, that's a big t- who is that? And that's when I seen it was Rasheed Walker at tied in. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, they broke out U63. Look at this. So I'm telling you, I geeked out. I look like a little kid in here trying to, <laughs> trying to zoom in and rewind back and forth. It absolutely fired me up. So it's so cool. And, you know, if they're going to watch tape, LaFleur said, here, you're going to have to watch all the tape. Here, we're going to show you everything in the playbook right here. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Absolutely. Um, we got a question here, if that's all right with you. Yeah, absolutely. This comes in from Mike Hebergen. He says, uh, we all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Paul, I want to hear more about that crazy stunt calling man, Joe Barry. What was that? And can he keep it up? You know, it's, it's funny because coming into this offseason, Paul, everybody's focal point, everybody's concern was Joe Barry has them playing too far off. Joe Barry has them playing too far off. Everybody's forgot about that now. And now yeah. it's, what is this stunt game, right? And Kenny kind of tipped the hand last week, didn't he? He said, we got some stuff coming. You and I talked about it. Yeah. Tim and, and and Jacob here on the show talked about it. Um, what did you think, man? Like like uh, Paul was uh, – or like Mike was asking here, um, can he keep it up, man? Do you think you'll see more of that? I do. I really do. And from a number standpoint, and uh, it was uh, Dari Carragher of Packer Report who did the crunching and digging on this, but he said that the Packers ran 28 stunts against the Chicago Bears – and I think the Bears had 70 or so offensive plays. So it's roughly like 37-ish percent of the Packers snaps. They were doing stunts. And for comparison, they averaged seven per game last year. So just a huge shift in terms of that post-snap movement. And I do think it's here to stay because this wasn't a, 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 a phenomenon, so to speak. You know, 
Did I expect them to run stunts 37% of their snaps? No. Did I think they were going to? Yes, because they did it throughout training camp. They did it in the preseason games. We saw it quite a bit as well. So the fact that they didn't wasn't as surprising, but obviously the frequency at which they did was. So I think it's here to stay for that reason. I also think that there is definitely been a shift in terms of the more aggressive approach. And again, when I say aggressive, that doesn't mean we're going to see him, you know, in man coverage right up on the receivers every play. We're not going to see the linebackers blitzing constantly. But I think it's it's more of seeing these stunts. I think we're going to see some more blitzes. And we did on Sunday. Not that they really had to in that game, but we saw a couple of linebackers blitz. Rudy Ford, Jair Alexander were sent on blitzes. And that goes back to the offseason. You know, Joe Barry uh, or Razul Douglas said that after the season last year, Joe Barry brought everyone in basically had a, an open forum kind of Q and a of, all right, what do we got to do to improve? And of course, being more aggressive was one of the topics. And about halfway through training camp, Razul was asked, has, has Barry done that? Have you guys in practice seen that more aggressive approach? And he said that he has. And I think, you know, I think I mentioned on here, we've seen those signs as, as well throughout training camp with cornerbacks challenging a little bit more with more blitzing from the linebackers with these stunts. Um, so I do think it's here to stay. I'm not going to say it's going to be at that same frequency each week, but I do think that that's going to be a, a, a part of the Packers defensive front and overall game plan. And they have the guy, they're better equipped now with their personnel to be able to do that. I mean, yeah. you add in Colby Wood and Carl Brooks, their versatility, Devonte Wyatt, we know is versatile. All of them have a ton of speed. Like that's, those are the type of guys you want running those, those plays. Um, shooting gaps just because of the the potential that's there to really wreak some havoc on the offensive line. Yeah, definitely. You know, that's another thing that popped on film to me was when we were in our base when they when they ran a twelve uh, a twelve personnel and we triggered our base. We went with that thirty four jam and we ran a ninety nine contain and it was like that was the call all day long. And then when we were in the nickel two four five they ran the double ET stunt and use that as a contain on the outside. And, and you could tell Justin Fields was uncomfortable the whole day. Mm -hmm. It's like he, he wanted to bounce outside. And the one time that he tried to test it, unfortunately for him, there was Lucas Van Ness, yes. right? How fun <laughs> was that, Paul? That's such an impressive play. I mean, we've seen what Justin Fields can do with the ball in his hands. And it wasn't like, you know, we all know the, the, the speed athleticism that Van Ness has, but it was really on display because he was, you know, he was juked a little bit inside before then making that beeline out to field. So just, yeah. I mean, that's, that's what you, when you, when you draft an edge rusher, you know, at that pick and you're just, you know, take, uh, you know, know that they have that athleticism. That's the stuff that they can do instantly, the type of plays they can make. Definitely. Definitely. And it was so cool seeing fields, it's obvious he would have thrown it away if he thought he couldn't get away. And you could mm -hmm. even see him do his little patent arm swipe. Like he was just going to say, get off me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Next thing you know, he's picking himself up, looking at the replay. Like what, what just happened? Like, who was that? Absolutely. Awesome. Um, let's see. We got one more question here. We'll get to my final question and we'll get you out of here. We'll go rapid fire. I promise. Um, Emilio said, what's Paul's take on Dylan running out of the pistol. I would rather have him coming downhill uh, than sidecar you know the statistics last year shown that we average more yards per carry running out of the shotgun but Dylan just looks a little off are we wrong with thinking that is that what you've seen too Paul like what do you think Dylan's struggles are right now yeah that's a great question um you know his his emphasis Matt Lafleur's talked about this I asked him about it it's about been running with a lower pad level being more physical more 
you know, having in his words, his, 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 his mindset this year was about being dominant because he has that size. He has that strength, but you know, I think one of the issues from last season was that because he didn't run with that low pad level that he wasn't, you know, breaking as many tackles as we saw the year before pushing that pile forward, that extra yard or two. And I think part of it too is, you know, he, cause he is that downhill runner. He just doesn't, he doesn't have the ability like Aaron Jones does to create opportunities. And if we look at the offensive line play last year, you know, for the first half of the season, it was very, very up and down. There was injuries. There was a ton of movement. Like that was not the Packers offensive line play that we've been accustomed to. But as Bakhtiari returned, they got healthy. There was more continuity. If you look at Dylan's um, yards per rush per game, they got back to a more normal level during those last five, six, seven games of the season. And as I mentioned uh, just a few minutes ago and talking about the run game, you know, the, the offensive line didn't do the best job on Sunday in creating those running lanes. So I think that's really what the product is. He is very, very much dependent upon how's the offensive line performing. Are they giving him running lanes? Just because, again, he doesn't have that, that playmaking ability, so to speak, like Aaron Jones does. Yeah, definitely. Completely agree. Um, and just a little update here. Philadelphia has beaten Minnesota three to nothing. So obviously we're all Eagles fans tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see here. Final question, Paul. Um, Yash Nyman's contract was recently restructured. Now Spotrack hasn't updated yet, but what we heard through, I think it was Phil Yates that reported it. He said that they restructured and they added voided years, reducing his cap hit this year. What do you think the purpose of that restructure um, is, and, and does it maybe play a role in a potential extension for Gary? You know, when I look at it, I go, okay, it's probably – it's got to be one of one of two things. It's either freeing up a little bit of money to to be uh, very specific with Rashawn Gary's uh, contract extension if indeed it is coming here midseason, or maybe they've got their eyes on someone, maybe a potential trade. I mean, the one commonality I would imagine, it, it's going to free a little bit of money up this year, but – does anything come to mind for you on that that contract restructure, Paul? Yeah, so I believe it freed up about two and a half million dollars in cap space this year. And my guess right now is that that's just to give them more wiggle room throughout the season. Okay. Before that move took place, they had about five million in cap space. Now I think teams like to be in that seven to eight million dollar range because there's going to be you know additional expenses coming down the pipeline. Players are going to hit you know in-game bonuses that they have built into their contract practice squad elevations you know every week if they're bringing up two or three guys that's right that's an additional cap hit throughout the course of the season that they have to take on teams always want additional cap space as well to in case there's an addition that pops up and when i say addition that doesn't i don't mean a big one either right. i'm not sure who's available at this point i mean like your your Tavon austin you know that yeah. they've brought in, in in past years or your Tyler Irvin, those type of street free agents, you know, it just gives you a little bit of flexibility and wiggle room to make those moves. And again, account for those expenses that are going to happen, the practice squad elevations, the bonuses and things like that. So honestly, that's what I think it was for just to give them a little more flexibility. As far as Rashawn Gary goes, you know, his extension on its own will th- free up, uh, from the projections that I've seen three to 4 million in cap space. So they didn't have to do anything with Nyman's deal in order to do anything with Gary. Gary's playing on a fifth year option, which is basically a one-year deal. And his cap hit at that one-year deal is almost $11 million. So by, even though you're infusing a ton of more new money into the contract, you're also adding on at least 
probably four more years right. to spread those cap charges out to. So on the back end, an extension would actually free up cap space for the Green Bay Packers this year. And as far as when that'll happen, um, I tweeted this out recently. Kenny Clark's extension was mid-August. Uh, Elton Jenkins was in no, uh, November, I believe, and Bakhtiari was in December or flip those two around, but you get the idea. So the fact that it hasn't happened yet, um, you know, I wouldn't read too much into it. As I just mentioned, you know, they can happen at any point throughout this, you know, throughout the regular season, but it's going to happen at some point, you know, what a dominant performance. And I think everyone saw the PFF numbers about Gary's five pressures and only 10 pass rush snaps. Well, by the Packers counting, uh, Matt LaFleur said he actually had seven pressures. So just a little old 70% uh, success rate on pressure. It's not bad. That's what we were talking about yesterday. It was like, he's, you know, they said, okay, we had 12 total snaps. He had seven pressures. And then we broke it down. It was like, well, it was actually only 10 pressure attempts. So holy cow, 70% pressure rate. I'm so glad to have that guy on the Packers roster, Paul. Right. Oh, he's, he's so, so good. And he's, Matt LaFleur has said it best. He's a tone setter. Like, obviously, there's the production that you get from him, but when you have a guy like Rashawn Gary on the field, and, man, talk to Joe Barry about him for five seconds, and you'll hear the word work ethic about 20 times. You know, when you have that guy on the field who brings that intensity, that work ethic, that just elevates everyone around him. No, it, it definitely does. Definitely does. Paul, you elevate this uh, this podcast every time you come on here, man. We really appreciate your time. Everybody go check him out. You can follow him on X at Paul underscore Brettle. Um, he writes for the Packers Wire, the Dairyland Express. Make sure you check out his YouTube channel. It is phenomenal. Paul, you're the best, buddy. We appreciate you. Hey, thanks, Clayton. Always a good time. Take care. Yeah, you too, pal. Enjoy the game. You too. All right. We bring in Tim from Green Bay now. Tim, as always, Paul came in and uh, added a little bit of intelligence to this joke of a program that we have here. <laughs> How are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing great, and I'm taking notes, as usual. <laughs> Same, man. Soaking Same. it up. <laughs> what stood out to you there, man? Anything uh, Anything kind of just jump out right off the bat? Um, well, of course, Quay Walker um, on the injury report. Um, and Paul's insight is, is always, always appreciated. So – um, with the concussion protocol, that's just, yeah, that's something that he's in, um, and will be in until he's not in it anymore. My, <laughs> my understanding is the practicing today is actually a part of it that yeah. they want to see how he practices. And then I believe the only other step left is the independent neurologist kind of signing off it, right? and letting him go. That could be tomorrow. That could be Saturday. I don't know. Um, but that's definitely <laughs> refreshing. That stood out for sure, um, breaking down the uh, injury report. But uh, just wrapping it up there, uh, I like the insight from Paul on the uh, Rashawn extension, you know, basically breaking it down where I believe he said we could still free up three to five million in cap yeah. with an extension. So really, you know, uh, Yash Nijman's uh, restructure was wasn't necessarily uh, tied directly to a Rashan extension, which kind of provides us a little more insight. Um, I like what he said about that. You know, freeing up cap room during the season it totally makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And and you know, immediately what it triggered in my mind, I didn't want to keep him too long. When they signed Elton Jenkins's contract extension, they actually absorbed a pretty good chunk that first year. So they took the opposite approach from what Paul's talking about there with Rashawn, where when you do an extension, you typically free up money this year. Um, but 
in this case, if they already had that money there, right, and you freed it up, it kind of makes you wonder like, okay, well, if they do take that approach and they free up another three to five million, now you're pretty far over that threshold that we talk about, you know, for having that seven million buffer that he was talking about. So it's just, it's fascinating to me, man. And I'm a numbers guy. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a business uh, owner. I love kind of looking at every angle of how you can squeeze every little bit out of every penny. Right. And um, I don't know. I, I just love the salary cap talk. It's just awesome. I, I would love to be a fly on Goody's wall right now, or more specifically Russ Ball's wall right now going, okay, <laughs> what is the game plan here? Because it's another thing too. If you do extend Gary and basically what Paul said is it could happen mid August, which we've already passed. It could happen all the way as late as December. Right. Um, so it could be any time during the season, but what if the Packers do surprise some people and go on a little bit of a run. Right. And then you, you re-sign Rashawn Gary and free up even more room. And then if you've got a late season push, maybe you bring in someone there to add a little depth or, or who knows, maybe you get somebody at the trade deadline. If you're going into week eight and you know, the Packers are looking good and they're okay. We're definitely in playoff contention and you've got a hole <clears throat> at safety <laughs> and maybe you go out and trade for someone that, that might be on the trade block for at the safety position. Right. I mean, there's just a lot of different ways this thing can go and it's all going to, all going to come down to how the Packers play, you know, uh, throughout this first quarter of the season, in my opinion. Let's look at the injury report real quick. You kind of brung it up. Paul talked about it. Let me get this banner off real quick. Um, so, like you were talking about with concussion protocol, and I mentioned with Paul, you know, Troy Anderson, linebacker for the Falcons, is still in concussion protocol, and he did not participate Thursday, which tells me the initial test they did, he probably failed, right? Well, with Quay right. Walker going out to limited, eh, we're just waiting on the sign-off now. Now, that's just like you said, but from the injury standpoint on the Packers side, obviously Bakhtiari uh, didn't practice, but that's just veteran dress. Uh, Romeo Dobbs limited, Rashawn Gary limited, Elton Jenkins limited, Anthony Johnson Jr. full participation. Aaron Jones did not participate. Uh, Quay Walker with that limited participation. Christian Watson did not participate. And then Daniel Whelan is what? on the injury report but full participation. Evidently he uh, stubbed a finger or something there. It looks oh, like my goodness, <laughs> but I think we're good there. I, I, I think that, you know, with him being full participation, we're, we're good to go. Most there. people will go, why are you worried about your punter's finger? It's like, well, cause he's holding for our kicker. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so when it comes down to those three, based off what Paul said, the way I kind of feel about the chances of these guys playing, I think Quay Walker's looking better and better every day. He's going to play. I think uh, Aaron Jones, it's kind of iffy, probably a 50-50 shot. And I'm feeling like Christian Watson probably won't play. He'll probably be doubtful this week. Uh, do you do you agree, disagree with anything there uh, from the injury standpoint, Tim? I like I, I agree uh, with, with when it comes to Watson. Um, Paul touched on that, too, um, that, you know, he doesn't there's, – there's not going to be a, a reason to rush right now if he's dealing with and you know he, he kind of like did the parallel with Dobbs like when Dobbs had his hamstring issues like kind of the timeline he was on but it's like that's the best guesstimate any of us can really come up with because you know Scoot is his his own own man and he's gonna heal how he heals and rehab how he rehabs so I think uh time will tell but you know that's uh something that should be a cause for concern looking forward. Like you just talked about with the cap room during the year, you know, like here's an injury uh, at a key position, uh, a a player that gives us high production when he's on the field, valuable. I mean, if we don't have him 
moving forward, it sure is going to be nice to have extra flexibility with the cap to maybe bring somebody else in uh, yeah. if we have to, in fact, do that. So, uh, right. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm concerned, man. I don't think he's going to go on Sunday. Yeah. And Rob Domofsky actually tweeted out earlier today. He said Packers coach Matt LaFleur on running back Aaron Jones, and of course, talking about the hamstring, who didn't practice but did some rehab work and a helmet. Uh, coach LaFleur said, quote, anytime he's out there and has a helmet on, that's a good sign. So, you know, that could be Matt LaFleur sending a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of fake, uh, you know, a little fake fodder for the Falcons to think about, or who knows, man, Aaron Jones may be, uh, may be ready to go. Sunday. Can, can we talk you. about Matt LaFleur for a minute? Cause, <laughs> yeah, cause let's hear it. I just, I love the the new Matt LaFleur, man. Oh, yeah, dude. Like prison Matt full effect. He is, uh, he's playing very, uh, close to the chest, very, uh, tight lipped. Um, I, I believe it was, uh, I was listening to, uh, I think Ryan and uh, I was catching up on Ryan and JJ, their pod the other night. He was, he was kind of talking about uh, similar how like Lafleur is like not letting anyone get any film (laughs) in these first couple of games by just the way he's calling these plays. And it's like, yeah, that's his, that's his approach with the the media after the game and before the game and how he's, you know, releasing, uh, you know, certain uh, statements. And I love it. I think with Aaron Jones, I think, you know, what Matt LaFleur said the other day is going to be the exact truth is he, we're going to give him as long as he needs. And if he feels like he can go on Sunday, then he'll go on Sunday. So I'm, I'm assuming that what do they have like an hour before kickoff before they have to tell us who the hell's playing. So (laughs) I mean, we might, we might hear Aaron Jones as a go 60 minutes before kickoff. So uh, get up early, have your coffee on Sunday, be ready. Definitely, definitely. I'll tell you what else is worth getting up early over, getting the day started so you can uh, get in a good work day. And then when you hit that lunch break, go over to Old Southern Barbecue Smokehouse. They got five locations in Rice Lake, Hudson, Arden Hills, Minneapolis, and Shakopee. Um, Go check out any of those locations, drop in, have lunch. Um, also, if you're planning a party, you're planning on having some uh, some friends over to watch the Packers play. They do catering as well. You can check out their catering menu on their website, OldSouthernBarbecue.com. Uh, they got brisket. They got ribs. They got all kinds of sides. Uh, just take the work off yourself. Have them come in and cater the event for you. You can kick back, enjoy the game, and relax. And uh, definitely want to check them out at those five locations. Also, if you're at a distance like me and you love to barbecue, you love cooking out, you love you love grilling, you love uh, firing up the smoker, check out OldSouthernBBQ.com for their sauces and rubs. They've also got a, an awesome, awesome uh, uh, kind of a bundle put together that several – of our listeners have already purchased and and I know they're excited about trying. I think it comes with two rubs and these four sauces. They got the uh, Southern gals, sweet brown sugar. We got Dixie red, rich and smoky. You got Chicago blue, mild and tangy and Chicago fire, which is uh, obviously it brings the heat. That's my favorite. And um, it sounds like they're already getting a, uh, a pretty uh, strong influx in, uh, in business there on the website from all of our listeners uh, checking them out. So make sure you guys get them before they, uh, before they sell out. And again, you can go to their website. That's oldsouthernbarbecue.com. Get everything you need as far as grilling. They'll take care of you. And like I said, if you're local, make sure you drop into one of those five locations. But we definitely appreciate Old Southern Barbecue Smokehouse for sponsoring the show. Let's do this. Uh, let's move on to – I want to show you this screenshot real quick. I thought this was cool. Uh, kind of back to the injury report, and then we'll move on to to some of the betting lines and, and some of the metrics that are 
kind of popping up for this preview with the Falcons. But this was also Rob Domofsky on Twitter said Quay Walker concussion is still in the protocol, but he's progressed to the point where he's going through some drills. Uh, and then he talked about uh, Aaron Jones's hamstring, had a helmet, but stayed inside of rehab. Christian Watson hamstring also rehabbing. No Bakhtiari per practice usual, but you can see Quay right there on that shot that uh, that Rob tweeted out. And he's I, I swear Quay's going to go, man. Quay's ready to roll. I'm excited to see him out there Sunday. I know you'd be excited about that. Let's move on to kind of the betting line. And I like to keep my eyes on the uh, – oh, yeah, Emilio. Look at Emilio doing my job for me. He also said, hey, guys, when you order online for Old Southern Barbecue, make sure you type in the promo code PACKERNET15, get you 15% off. Look at Emilio. I got to put him on the payroll, man. Got to put Mano said, Clayton, can you add the sponsor website to the video description? Uh, maybe add it to your template. Yeah, we'll see if we can do that, but we'll, we'll get that put in there. But again, that is oldsouthernbbq.com. I'll see if I can put that in the description of the video there for sure. Things get a little haywire when we're going live, but it is what it is. All right. I like to keep my eyes on the betting market uh, simply because it kind of tells you the direction the game's going in from a sense of popularity with people that are putting money on the game, Tim. And then also kind of gives you an idea of, uh, of how Vegas really feels about where the money's at. So when you're talking about the spread, as we had mentioned before, the, uh, the line actually opened up and the Packers were one and a half point favorites when the line first opened. Okay. It peaked at two points. So the Packers were two point favorites. Now it's completely flipped to where the Packers are one-and-a-half-point underdogs, okay? So the thing that you really want to key in on here is people hear that and they go, oh, it's the injury news, it's this, it's that. No, Vegas's goal is to keep this as 50% possible where the money is, right? And when you look at the cash that has come in already, you know, the cash that's come in is 71% of the cash is in on the Falcons, okay? And you got about a 50% rate on the ticket. So the money got so far in the Falcons' favor, in my opinion, this is the way I view it, right? It got so far in their favor because at one point you were catching plus two on the handicap there if you bet the Falcons. Well, now it's completely flipped to where the Packers are now catching one and a half points, right? So I'm just telling you right now, I don't give any betting advice on here, Tim, and I don't even know if you gamble, but I will say I would feel pretty darn good about the Packers having one and a half points, plus one and a half points on that. And, and again, Gamble responsibly, okay? And if you don't believe in gambling, totally cool, completely understand. But when I seen that plus one and a half for the Packers after it started minus two, I went, whoo, boy, that looks a little, I don't know, a little enticing there. Now, when you look at the team metrics, Tim, this is probably more down your alley. Um, team metrics, according to PFF, overall power ranking, the Packers are not in the league. The Falcons are 23rd. Um, power ranking on defense, the Packers are 14th. The Falcons are 24th. Power ranking on offense, the Packers are 29th, and the Falcon, Falcons are 23rd. Um, your uh, your SOS played, meaning your strength of schedule played already, the Packers 28th, Falcons 30th. Your average offensive snaps, um, 62 for the Packers, only 53 for the Falcons so far in these first, uh, you know, first one game each there. Percentage of run plays, 50% for the Packers, 52.9% for the Falcons. Uh, obviously, that makes the uh, the pass rate for the Falcons 47.1%. Your EPA, which is expected points added, okay, that's what that that's what that represents. Uh, a negative point two seven on EPA per run for the Packers, and you can see the Falcons have a a little bit stronger run game as it sits through one game. 
at a negative .02, but the EPA per pass, .39 for the Packers, negative .20 for the Falcons. This seems like it's going to be a game, Tim, where the Packers are going to need to win through the air and the Falcons are going to try to grind this thing out and win on the ground, man. How do you feel about the way those numbers stack up? Man, this game's got 13 to 10 written all over it. <laughs> it really does. You know, or, or you know, I don't know. It's going to be a grinder either way. But I would agree with that that sentiment that uh, we got to try and do it through the air and uh, they're going to try and do it on the ground. So, um, which is really f- interesting because, you know, Paul was just on here talking about, you know, the secondary in Atlanta. And then you look at our front against, you know, their run game. So it's going to be, to me, and again, I'm not an expert, but it's going to be a close game, guys. Like there's, I don't think anyone's going to run away with this game on Sunday. It's going to be a tight nail biter. Yeah, definitely. I was looking at the over under here too. I think the over under currently is at 40 and a half and PFF has it at 41.7. So yeah, I'm with you, man. I don't, I don't, I don't know if they'll reach 40 and a half, but again, don't take advice from me on that. Just, it's just interesting to see how the numbers kind of lay out there for sure. Let's look at the quarterback comparison. This is exciting. Um, so obviously Jordan Love quarterback for the Packers. Let's start with Desmond Ritter, Desmond Ritter quarterback for the Falcons, PFF grade in week one, 52.1. Passer rating with a clean pocket was 114.5. His passer rating under pressure, listen to this, Tim, Passing passer rater, rating under pressure, 39.6, right? And that offensive line played like booty on Sunday. I mean, it was bad. Big-time throw percentage, there was no big-time throws, according to PFF, for either either side. If there was, there was 0% was the, uh, you know, the success rate. Turnover-worthy plays. Uh, Desmond Ritter, 4.17%, and then power rating, a 0.5. His power rating rank is 29th. Now, when you look at Jordan Love, not a whole lot better, according to PFF. 62.5, though, basically 10 points higher than Desmond Ritter. Um, Your passer rating, when clean, 126.4. Passer rating under pressure, 81.3, almost tripled. No, I'm sorry, basically a little over doubled Desmond Ritter's score there. Big-time throw percentage, 0%, same as Ritter. Turnover-worthy play percentage, 3.3%, significantly lower. And then a power rating of 1.0. He's 25th in power rating rank. I think it's safe to say we've got the uh, we got the quarterback matchup there, don't you think, Tim? Uh, yeah, I would <laughs> uh, would totally agree with that. I uh, Yeah. <laughs> um, it's funny, too, because, uh, you know, we see the passer rating when, when you have a clean pocket. It's like, well – Jay Money's that's all he's had is clean pockets. So it's uh you know, it'll be a good test of this offensive line. That's all I'm gonna say. This will be uh way more of a test than I think the Bears gave them last week. So hopefully uh we continue to see clean pockets and uh no mistakes at center. But you know, I don't know. I don't I don't wanna get on that conversation anymore. Uh <laughs> we're gonna leave we're gonna leave Josh alone. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's exactly what we're going to do. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, Eric Sutherland in the chat says I gambled seven times and got seven kids. I no longer gamble on anything. <laughs> oh boy. Oh man. And that is, that is the president of the PTA posse. That is your fearless leader gang right there. Um, and just a little update the end of the first quarter, the, uh, the Eagles are still leading the Vikings three to nothing there. Um, let's see here. Ch-ch-ch-ch. 
Yeah, I like I'll what the really insight, Clayton, real quick. Uh, yeah. I, I am a gambler. Ooh. I do not. I do not bet on sports. However, got it. So, okay, all right. But I do. I do like the angle. I think you're right. There's validity to looking at the lines and seeing how the betting markets are reacting. Uh, it does, it, it, especially when you put it up against PFF and other metrics, because it gives right. us more insight into the game. So I'm always, uh, you know, I'm not into the sports betting, but uh, I'm definitely, uh, I, I like the info. So Got it. I'm with yeah. you there, brother. I think it's important. Um, you know, it's something that Michael Lombardi, he doesn't gamble, but he gives a ton of gambling advice and works for Visa. And uh, <laughs> and he, like he said, this is, we're in an information business. That's what he, exactly. what he always says. And the more info, the better, you know, now you can get paralysis by analysis, and sometimes games come down to the most simplest forms, right? You know, in my opinion, the three biggest factors are, you know, head coach versus head coach, coordinators versus coordinators, right? And you've got quarterbacks versus quarterbacks. Those are the big things. And people say, oh, well, quarterbacks don't play each other. No, but you're that's the most important production you can have in a football game is how well the quarterback protects the football, controls explosive plays, and gets your team into the end zone plain and simple. And then, of course, if you were to take it a, a pill it back a, a level deeper, I'm looking at the matchup on, on the edges of the defense and how they can get pressure and affect those said quarterbacks for sure. Knucklehead Paul in the chat says it's going to be a tough game. No stupid penalties. Amen, Paul. It's going to come down to who protects the football and who doesn't make, you know, uh, as many mistakes as the other team. It's really what it's going to come down to. I think it's going to be – I think it's got potential to be a really good game, and I think it's going to be one of those that – just like every week, Tim, we look up and we go, didn't see that coming. <laughs> you know, it just seems like it happens every Sunday in the NFL. No doubt. Let's see here. Uh, yeah, Emilio, I, I see that too, man. He says no one can hold on to the ball in this Vikings game. It's been bad, man. It's been real bad. Uh, Butterfingers all around, says Eric Sutherland. I want to point this out um, before we wrap up, Tim. I thought this was really cool. Um, we actually got a couple of more things. Well, let, let's hit on this, and then we'll come. We'll wrap back around to Jordan Love. This uh, came out from Ryan Wood. He said, "Packers defensive coordinator Joe Barry on the View from press box where he's calling games this season. Quote: It feels like my spot. I told you guys I really enjoy, enjoyed it in there uh, in the preseason. After those three preseason games, I didn't really flinch. Um, seems pretty comfortable up there, Tim. And I don't know about you, man, but that that gets me excited because." You know, sometimes you got to shake things up. And again, I, I, you know, it's funny how everybody was saying the coverage was screwed up last year. We're playing too far off. Nobody's saying that right now. But now it's, oh, well, we, we changed with the stunts. And it's like, don't move the goalposts, people. Joe Barry, Joe, Joe Barry ended the year with one of the best defenses in the league in that last four-game span, really the last five-game span. And uh, when I say one of the best defenses, he was right there on the borderline of a top-ten defense. It carries over into this year, and everybody's looking for that reason why all of a sudden, okay, Joe Barry's still trash, but he's just doing this different. He finally changed, right? But yeah, what do you think about that him up in the box, man? I, I love it. And, you know, the fans give him a hard time, and it's like you would think that these people act like the players don't want to play for him or something, and that's right. not that's not the case at all. These these guys do want to play for him, and I've said this before, man. He, he has great rapport with his defense, with his players, and I will tell you this. I'm looking forward to the moment this year. I'm not sure which week it's going to come, but I know in my heart that we're going to see it, that there's going to be one of these games where we're up like three or four or five scores late in the game. And Joe's going to be the first guy down from the booth on that sideline, 
high five in his defense during garbage time. And uh, it'll be a a nice little uh, cherry on top um, after him going up to the booth this year, because clearly, yeah, this is the spot. Old Southern barbecue. Let's get it shipped up there. We'll give him some extra sauce. We'll get him some extra napkins, whatever he needs. Make sure we get him some cornbread muffins too. Yes. Those, are, those are easy to eat while you're uh, up there doing your thing. But uh, that's where he belongs, man. And he's seeing it better. And, you know, and like, like Paul said earlier, we're better equipped to run this, this scheme. Now we have, we have better pieces uh, at Joe Barry's disposal. So like I said, people, let's let's really just uh, give them. I, I know we said this before, but give them a chance. Yeah. <laughs> give them a chance this year to let's see how this plays out. Yeah, and, and this league, man, it, it's so cyclical. It's so up and down. It's all about adjustments. You know, his first year as defensive coordinator had a great year. No one was yeah. complaining. Like, wow, this is a huge step in the right direction for Mike Pettin. And then comes out in the first quarter of the season last year. And basically was just ripping. I mean, I, like I said, I've talked about it over and over, over. Tony Romo on the CBS broadcast said, this might be the best defense in the league. They go through that rough patch, right? Everybody's screaming, fire Joe Barry. And then you finish the season with one of the be- better defenses in the league, right? And it seems like it's carrying over now. And I think a huge, a huge aspect of it is Jaron Reed not being in that lineup, Dean Lowry not being in that lineup, and actually getting people like, you know, I mean, you've seen it, Devontae Wyatt, basically his first start, as a as a legitimate uh, number one defensive lineman uh, in this nickel and thirty four base, and he just played lights out, one and a half sacks, and just absolutely uh, tormented Justin Fields all day long. Um, Emilio in the chat says, and he gets to watch the whole game from the all twenty two view. How can that not help a scheme? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. He said, I bet. Emilio also said, I bet he was the first one hopping the players up at halftime. Oh, yeah. They love him, dude. That's what cracks me they up. Do. They you, do. They do. Not one person have you heard. If, if anything, if you want to read between the lines, to me it seems like maybe Jerry Gray was the guy that the players were kind of like, ugh, because you've seen he immediately left as soon as the season was over, right? He goes to – did he go to Atlanta? Am I thinking right? Te- Texans, I thought. Was it? I can't remember. If it's maybe. Atlanta, boy, that's a heck of a story, isn't it? Well, <laughs> I'm sure somebody in the chat knows. If you do, fire it off in there, guys. Let's figure out where Jerry Gray went as far as – because if he's in Atlanta now, then this is uh, it's a little bit personal. I believe, which is yep. pretty cool. Good pretty sidebar cool. story too is uh is this is this Devondre Campbell's first trip back to Atlanta as a Packer now? I'm pretty sure it was. And it's funny, I heard Ryan Ryan Schlipp on a podcast last night with uh several Atlanta Falcons fans, and one of them specifically asked him, was like, Hey, what's up with Devondre Campbell? How do you feel about Devondre Campbell? And you know, Ryan was like, I, you know, I think he, I think he's a good ball player. He's played really well for us. You know, obviously we gave him an extension. Blah blah. blah. And he's like, well, I'm glad he's doing it up there because he didn't do it down here. <laughs> and it's just another example of scheme matters. And you know, one of the side stories there was Devondre Campbell signed in Green Bay because when he was in Atlanta, Coach Lafleur was there, and it came out of Devondre's mouth that he said he wanted to play for Matt Lafleur. He loved Matt Lafleur, even though Matt Lafleur is an offensive coach. He just loved his style. He loved his approach, and that was one of the reasons why Devondre Campbell wanted to come to Green Bay, is uh, is because of Matt Lafleur. He wanted to play for him, which I thought was really really cool. Um, let's wrap it up with this, Tim. We'll, we'll check the chat before we wrap up. If you guys got any questions or comments, fire away. But uh, I thought this was really cool. Remember last week we were talking. And uh, or actually, it was yesterday. I said, boy, when you talk about Aaron Jones's uh, miles per hour, right, 
um, last week. Madden needs to increase that speed, right? Well, they did. They gave him a, a plus one on speed this week. But this one's really cool. Check this out, Tim, as I put this up here. Jordan Love on Madden just got a plus three overall increase. So he Ooh. went from a 72 to a 75 overall. So he's already – and understand, that's that's not – that's not just a minimal jump either. Like to, no. to catch three points. I don't know if you're a big Madden guy or not, but that's that's pretty significant, Tim. I'm a little rusty. I haven't played I haven't played Madden in a couple of years. Um, so if anyone wants a good laugh, well, I'll jump on at, at some point <laughs> and you know be a noob yeah. again. But uh, yeah, hey, you know what? You want a real here? Here's here's a little arrogant statement to go along with this. He'll be an 85 by the bye week. Ooh, How about that? Put it on the ticker. Put How it on about that? He's at a 75 overall now. <laughs> he better be north of 80 in a few weeks, I'll tell you. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Emilio confirmed that Jerry Gray is in Atlanta. Cool ATL, little time. Okay. Let's go. All Speaking right. of Jerry's, can we give a quick shout-out since we're, we're talking about our coaching staff? Because we, we keep talking about the defensive front, and we can't talk about them without the other Jerry, Jerry Montgomery. Um, another coach who I think has unfairly taken a lot of heat and, and criticism uh, from some of the fans over the last uh, few years. Um, what I saw out there this camp uh, was exactly what I think we would want to see. So I, I want to give him his props too, working on getting these guys ready uh, to do what they need to do in that front. Yeah, definitely, man. And you can see it's it's paying off. And Kenny Clark, man, just a, an absolute leader. He just – I don't know, man, that, that first game – and great, I keep telling myself, Tim, it's the Bears, Clayton, it's the Bears, calm down. But they just – they looked so excited to play for each other. And then the depth coming in too. And I, I've watched that Lucas Van Ness sack a thousand times. And every time I love – my favorite part isn't how he – it isn't how he set the edge. It isn't how he played um, – he, he played under control and, uh, and disciplined by not biting on the play fake. It isn't the fact that he aimed for the outside shoulder of Justin Fields rather than letting him cut the corner. My favorite part of that play was when Justin Fields stood up and looked up at the scoreboard, like the replay, like it, it, the look on his face screamed, how the hell did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. Absolutely love it. Um, Emilio in the chat says he thinks Jordan Love will be an 84 by the end of the year on Madden. And then Grooney in the chat, Grooney, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I have the coolest profile picture on YouTube, and it looks like something I couldn't pull off there. If I fall off that on that bike, y'all are carrying me out of the woods. I promise you that. He said an 85 by the end of the season. I like it, man. I like it. People are on board with Jordan Love, Tim, and uh, I tell you what, man, he's won that locker room over. And, again, I'm going to play it uh, again real quick here. I started to play it yesterday. It's going to be loud, Tim, so watch yourself. Hopefully this doesn't bust your eardrums. But um, I absolutely love this for Sean Gary, you know, at the end of the game. Um, Jordan Love being interviewed by Aaron Andrews and Rashawn Gary comes over and just completely breaks it up and says, no, this is what he says. Stop playing with him. Stop playing with him. Stop playing with him. Love Aaron Andrews. Absolutely terrified. Tim, this, this team wants to play for Jordan, man. They want to play for him. Uh, man, speaking of which, too, I like I like Eric Stokes in at the end, too. Yeah. You know, that's that's a guy that, um, you know, he's got his on the field struggles. Like we, we talked about, he wasn't playing super great football before the injury, but he's a guy that wants to get back. And he is a big part 
of that secondary room and that, that defense. Um, and, you know, these are some of the intangibles that people, you know, don't talk about often. You need things like this to be a successful football team. You have to have guys that are willing to go out there and play for each other. It's not just playing for the coaches, not just playing for us fans, but playing for each other out there. Um, and clearly this team top to bottom is fitting the bill. So it, it's, it's good to see that chemistry and, you know, Rashawn speaking up for, for Jay money because Jay money is not a, you know, he's not a flashy dude. He's um very humble and respectable guy. So I don't think uh, we're going to see too much trash talk from Jordan love. So it's going to have to come from uh, some of the other guys on the team for sure. Yeah, definitely. Emilio in the chat says, all you need is unity. You know, I'm a history nerd. Um, and you know, it's, it's really the reason that this country was founded and, and the, the British officers during the revolutionary war, you know, they were quoted many different ways, many different times saying basically that very thing, Emilio saying that I think at one point they said, um, you know, one man with this kind of attitude, this kind of, uh, uh, love for the cause, right? That unity that you talk about is worth a hundred without it, right? And it's just, uh, just so cool, man. So cool. Uh, absolutely love it. So, all right, let's wrap this thing up. Um, Tim, parting thoughts. You get anything else, Buck? Um, just uh, excited to see uh, the the final injury report. I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> the final injury report, yeah. or at least the final uh, practice. I believe they practice tomorrow, and then nothing Saturday. I'm assuming before the game. So, uh, I will be checking Paul Brettel's timeline like a hawk. Um, I'm, as I'm sure many of us will be. So just looking forward to the updates on some of our guys. Uh, I mean, even the ones that uh, we're pretty sure aren't going to play like Christian Watson, I'd still like to hear that he's making some progress. So um, just keeping uh, our guys in my prayers here, especially being banged up early in the season. Uh, clearly we have more names on that injury report than, than the Falcons. So right. going into this weekend, we want to be as close to full strength. So yeah, uh, just keeping positive, man. That's about it. Yeah, absolutely. Very well said. Eric Sutherland in the chat said, this team has me more excited than I've been in a while. Um, Grunny said, I did pronounce it right. I can't remember if it was Grunny or Grunny I said it first, so I just got it wrong once there. But <laughs> glad to hear. Janelle says, great show. We appreciate you dropping through, Janelle. Thank you so much. And Emilio said, I'm ready to run through a wall for this team. It's a different feel, Emilio. This year feels just a little bit different. And I want to say this. I want to give a shout out to the newest YouTube members of the PTA Posse. We've got Ashton Alexander and we got Godsmack AR69. Appreciate you guys and your support. You will be entered into the next drawing to win uh, a piece of uh, memorabilia. And I still haven't heard from iheasy340. So as of right now, I need to set a deadline. I'm going to say by midnight uh, of Saturday. So Sunday morning by midnight, you know. Um, 12.01 Sunday morning, I should say. If I don't hear from iheasy340, we're just going to spin it again during the postgame show and give that thing away. I think that's the only right thing to do there. So, um, again, thank you so much for the new YouTube members. We really appreciate it. Uh, also, everybody in the chat, you guys showed up in full force tonight with a football game on, which is absolutely awesome. So, uh, again, now it looks like the Vikings are up 7-3. to three. So, Tim, we got to hop off here and, uh, and root against this this purple team, bro. I appreciate your time, man. It's so good to, so good to talk to you. Appreciate you jumping on here with me. 
And um, we're going to get out of here. Again, thanks to everybody in the chat. For those of you making us a part of your day, um, you know, or for those of you on the pod, thank you for making us a part of your day. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world and go pack up. The power sweep. Actually, it's the, it's the lead play in our, in our offense. Double tackle. Take the defensive end if he's over. If he's back, he drives down on the first man who's inside. Pull back and get him. Take the first man outside the offense. No one shows. Go right by this and feel this back. If the YN has the linebacker taken out, he cuts inside. If the YN has the linebacker in, he comes all the way around. If you look at this play, what we're trying to get is a seal here and a seal here and try to run this play in the end.